Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles. The entertainment, culture, and sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media. We talk film, television, music, literature, sports, food, and more. And we do it all sitting down with interesting people. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman. And I'm that other dude, George Gordon. George, why don't you tell us what we got going on the show this week? Well, David, we've got writer, editor, and author of the best-selling book, What the Fact?, 365 Strange Days in History, and one of Vulture's best comedy books of 2022, Eating Salad Drunk, Haikus for the Burnout Age by comedy greats, Gabe Henry. And for Gabe's episode, we're going to talk about historical figures and baseball possessions. What a great conversation we have with Gabe. But before we get to all that, how are you? Um, well, I'm have, I'm, I might have a hard time following that A++ reading of that copy right there. That was incredible. <laughs> Hire this man right away. I'm doing uh, all right, George. I got a smile put on my face this week when I saw the Amazon workers successfully unionized. Shout out those folks in Staten Island. I just particularly love what the main guy who organized it, Chris Small, said after you know the vote was successful and they were celebrating outside. The reporter asked him, what do you have to say to Jeff Bezos? And he said, well, I'd like to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was up there, we were down here signing people up. And... Uh, <laughs> I thought that was fucking awesome. So shout out to those folks, Amazon Labor Union. But yeah, other than that, I'm doing all right. George, how are you doing? I'm good. I got to go back to Virginia for the first time in three years uh, this past weekend. Got to hang out with some friends from high school. Uh, everybody's gotten fatter and they're uh, losing their hair, but everybody was great. It's definitely a fun hang. A lot of Miller lights and Coors lights and talk about the good old days, talk about high school and all those other good stuff. Shout out to my buddy, Brian Dean and his partner, Meg, who are having a baby. I've got a... Uh, Notorious B.I.G. onesie coming in the mail for you guys. Uh, you'll be getting that in a couple of days. <laughs> uh, great name, too, by the way. They picked out Hunter Dean, which I, which they're, they're still in flux, but I like the name Hunter. So I, I'm, I'm great. It's good to be, be, be back in D.C. and Northern Virginia. So back to the grind it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I love uh, your go-to is becoming the hip-hop onesie to people that, that are expecting children. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's got to be different every time. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, like, uh, I think Liz got the Wu-Tang, got the Wu-Tang yeah. onesie, and then Brian is going to get the Biggie onesie, because I feel like it's more Brooklyn, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm into it. All right, George, what do you say we go to the bar? Yes, let's go and open this bar. Today on tap, we're going to be talking about the Obi-Wan series trailer that's going to be on Disney+, Plus, and I believe that airs uh, sometime at the end of May. I'm not really sure the date, but it's uh, going to be in May. The, the trailer drop for Obi-Wan. Uh, last week. Uh, Atlanta, the final season, uh, which is on Hulu. Um, uh, the three episodes have aired so far and that uh, both Dave and I have watched all three episodes. And we've got some interesting thoughts on that. And I'm going to be bartending the shorts this week. And I'll be talking about WrestleMania. 
All right. What do you want to What do you want to cover first? Let's go and talk about Obi Wan. Uh, Dave, I know that you've been on record that you are not a Star Wars uh, fan, or just that's not like something that's in your zeitgeist, and like you watch stuff, but it's not really like you don't go. You're not wearing the outfits and like making towns with uh, with lightsabers in your apartment. I am not wearing the outfits, but will I make a sound with a lightsaber with in my apartment? You'll never know. We'll just keep that <laughs> up to the audience to decide whether or not I'm into that. I but, think we know now. Yeah, you probably know now. <laughs> I'm looking at Gladys. Is like <laughs> for the listeners who can't see me, I was doing something with my hands. Uh, the Obi Wan trailer, which has got uh, Ewan McGregor. Um, and I think uh, Hayden Christensen is going to reprise his role as Darth Vader. Anyway, it seems to be the uh, the time that this is going to be covered is the time from like the birth of Luke and Leia, which is how Episode Three ends, and uh, the time once you get to Episode Four, which is a New Hope. So that in between time in which the Jedi's are have all been either assassinated or they're in hiding, and he's also got to be looking over this kid, Luke Skywalker. And uh, from the trailer, they go through like different worlds and different planets. Of course, they're in Tatooine. And it looks like a planet that looks straight out of Blade Runner, one of the planets that they go to. So there's a whole lot going on there. And I'm there for all this content. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Plus, I love Ewan McGregor, and I have for years. So uh, Obi-Wan, thank you, producer Mary Best, May 27th uh, this year. So I'm there for it. Hopefully, it's like nine hours of just complete awesomeness. <laughs> you summed up my feelings on Star Wars very well. I, I Probably better than I could have put them, actually. I, I just like... I let I lay in the cut and like whatever hits me hits me and I may enjoy some of it. I was going into this segment thinking that you were going to sell it to me and you did. Uh, although uh, the one the one thing that I heard that was a red flag for me was uh, Hayden Christensen reprising his role. But uh, other than that, you don't get to see his face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's just Darth Vader. That's uh, that's fine then. As long as he's not going to be doing his Anakin thing. Well, they made me kill them. No, he's not going to be talking. The women and the children too. Yeah, he's not going to be talking, which is perfect. So. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I'll give it a sniff. I'll I'll, uh, I'll follow your lead on that. All right, good, good, uh, good pitch. I don't even have to watch the trailer now. Great. That's, I'm here for that. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. What, what's next? Uh, this latest season of Atlanta. So, Dave, what I try to do whenever we text each other about stuff is like, it's like, hey, don't do it now. Save it for the podcast. Season, the, the episode three dropped uh, this past week, which I watched on the bus to DC uh, over the weekend. And episodes one and two were the following week. But you today watched all three episodes. So, Dave, why don't you give us your early thoughts on the first three episodes of this season of Atlanta? Yeah, well, I watched the the first episode last night, and I'm glad I watched that like uh, by itself, and and then watched the other two like throughout the day today. And they're only half hour, so it's nice and short, which is what I'm here for. And you kind of had prepared me for the first one a little bit, just just in saying that people were divided on it. Uh, but you thought it was, or I'll I'll, I'll let you say this. I don't want to put the words in your mouth, but uh, I I was excited about it, and that first episode is really cool um it follows like a different story not to not to really go into it too much but it it kind of goes away from the main characters and it's like this weird surreal kind of sequence that feels like a horror film um and it's really well done one of the things i love about the show to begin with uh is that they really let the characters they let all the individual characters have their own adventures and like have their own individual storylines in a way that's like really well done and, and well written and like not a lot of shows like get right and so it's like you're seeing multiple perspectives in any given episode and 
you know, we can we we can open this up a little bit more, but like, man, Brian Tyree Henry is just giving a masterclass in every episode. He is so good, and I think that he, more so than maybe the other cast, who is also just excellent. Um, but like, he's playing so far away from who he actually is as a person, and like all of his roles that he's played in the last like five or so years are so different from each other, which is really exciting to see. Um, from someone who's like starting to kind of blow up. And uh, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed it. I think the first, all first three episodes were really good. They they do such a great job of being subtle, but also being like heavy handed at the same time. And it's like, I think so, it goes over some, a lot of it goes over some people's heads, I think. And like, yeah, it's it's really smart, really well done. What did you think of the first, uh, the first few episodes here? So quickly, I thought the, the first episode was something out of the Twilight Zone, which is I found to be actually jaw-droppingly terrifying, especially if you know the story of the Hart family. For, for listeners who don't know, the Hart family were this, uh, this couple. They adopted uh, several black kids in, I think it's Minnesota, Minnesota or Washington, one of those states. And uh, the, they, they met their demise by uh, getting drunk and purposely driving off a cliff, killing themselves and all the children they adopted. So like the episode, episode one is... Uh, talks a little bit about the heart family. They don't mention them by name, but it's just sort of, it's just like a kid gets adopted and they're adopted by like what seems to be kind of like the heart family. And it's just the, the fried chicken, that him reading that fried chicken just completely grossed me out. I was like, wow, that's, yeah. that's way too much. And it's a dream within a dream. And the, uh, so I thought the episode, the first episode was tremendous because like they were just kind of going a completely different way. So shout out to uh, Donald Glover and his brother, Stephen Glover, who are writing these episodes, they just decided, it was like, hey, we're going to do something wildly different. And that episode kind of blew my mind. Uh, episode two was the one of the three that's probably my least favorite, only because it's like I found it to be a little, little, little self-indulgent. It reminded me of, I, I feel like it's like Donald Glover telling a story about what it was like for him being out on the road uh, when he was like, he went from being like this actor, writer to like this sort of pop singer, uh, rapper. And I, I like some of his music, I don't love all of it, but like, it felt like him telling a story about what it was like for him when he first went overseas to perform. And so it's like the misadventures that he had. And I didn't love that part. And then the third episode, the third episode I thought was, was, was the, was the most interesting. I mean, the line, the line reading by uh, Lakeith Stanfield, that's an intense hairline, bro. I was on the bus. <laughs> like howling. That's an intense hairline, bro. <laughs> that episode I, I liked episode two because I just, I liked being on the road with them. I, I mm -hmm. kind of agree with you. And I, I did not like his, like, I, I like some of his, some of his more recent stuff, honestly, but mm -hmm. I don't like the early stuff. Um, I wasn't really into him. Atlanta was kind of like what changed my mind about him as like an artist, because I started watching it and I was like, wow, this shit is really next level. And I wasn't, I didn't have those expectations for it, not really liking his music. But yeah, like the third episode is exactly what I was talking about in reference to all the different storylines. They really like basically without going too far into it, it's they go to like a party at at uh, some like billionaire's house mm -hmm. and like they all kind of separate and go their own different ways. And they all have like very unique storylines that happen. And it's just really entertaining and, and just really fun to follow these characters. I'm excited to see the, the rest of the season play out. So to put a pin on it and like uh, the the knock this uh, this this bar tuck out. First three episodes are you in or are you out on the the show so far? I'm 100 percent in. 
hundred percent. And I am, I am as well. The only, my only criticism is like, I'm not really sure what they're doing with Van. Uh, Zazie Visa character was like what, how she ties in, but I'm, I do want to see what, how that goes along because she's on like another trajectory than the other, other three guys. So, so shout out to Atlanta and the Glovers. Cool. All right. Now we're going to go in to finish up our talk with bartender's choice and you're up this week, George hit us. I'm not going to do that WrestleMania voice because you can only do that once before like you start losing their, your, your ability to speak. So uh, I'm going to talk about this eight hours of WrestleMania this past weekend. WrestleMania is spent over the course of two days, uh, about three and a half hours, four hours on each day, which was a wise decision because they were doing seven hours on one Sunday. And that was just too much, too much wrestling. But they over the course of two days, uh, a lot of fun. Now I'm going to admit that I didn't see the whole, all of it. I saw all of last night's, uh, which I watched on the bus back from DC and about two thirds of uh, Saturdays. But I do want to shout out a couple of matches that I found to be fantastic. The last night's match, uh, Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory. Uh, talk about being over like Rover. Pat McAfee, all 80,000 people that, that, that Texas Stadium were losing their effing minds when he came out. And that match was unbelievable. So shout out to that match. That was fantastic. Last night's match, and uh, producer Mary Best mentioned a little bit, the Johnny Knoxville match was incredible for, for all those people who loved the Jackass movies. And Jackass kind of made a comeback this past February. The latest Jackass, I think it's called Jackass Forever. The Johnny Knoxville match was was unbelievably fun. It's a gimmick match, a lot of stupid things that happened, but talk about I was like grinning from ear to ear how great it how great it was. And finally, Saturday's match, which I think I think was probably the match of the weekend, which is uh Bianca Belair's match. Uh we talked about her match when we had Amanda Zeller last year because she headlined uh, WrestleMania last year. And had one of the matches, best matches that night, probably the best match. And again, the second year in a row, Bianca Belair, strap a rocket ship to her. She is a star, star, star. Unbelievable match last night. Her her entrance was with the uh, Texas Southern Marching Band. Just blew the doors off that place. So Bianca Belair, WrestleMania. That was the that was the A plus plus, and I think that was the winner of this past weekend. So that's that is my that's my WrestleMania take. Love uh, those wrestling entrances, man. Like, those are like, yeah, if you get it right, marching band, awesome. That was one of the few I watched twice. When she had the, the Texas uh, Southern marching band, I was like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's killer. All right, George, what do you say uh, we close up the bar? Yeah, let's go talk to our guest this week, which is Gabe Henry. You were dressed as Milady? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It makes total sense that George would like it based on the music and the music alone. Um, and also I knew what to expect for myself when that was the first thing you said, like it was your friend that was in a play and like you're trying to find something good mm -hmm. to say. Oh, the, the music was good. The lighting was great. <laughs> when there, you go see a band play and then you go talk to the band afterward, but you didn't like their music, you always say yeah. the band was tight. You know, you all, <laughs> all tight. You really performed. <laughs> I really that, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were on stage. Yeah. You looked great up there. You looked just great up there. <laughs> we could do this all night, but um <laughs> but we'll get started uh with we, we want to congratulate you for your book Eating Salad Drunk 
being on the best comedy books of 2022 so far, uh, Vulture. And also you're the second guest we've had that's on that list. Shout out to Mike Sachs and uh, shout out to us, humble brag. So, but, yeah. but uh, can you tell us about like what the release of the book has been like and what the last, you know, it was released uh, in February, right? Yeah, it was released about a month ago now. Um, I mean, it's such a, it's been such a whirlwind. It's been such a relief to, to be honest that it, it finally got out. It was supposed to come out last September and because of COVID supply chain issues, staff shortages at the printers, factory issues in China, um, it was pushed back five months and it was kind of devastating to, to see this project be pushed back so long that by the time we got to February, I was just glad that I could finally see it and hold it and feel it. And everything after that has been extra. Like I would have been glad just to have this book in my hand and, and none of the other successes that it's seen in the past month. You've got some, uh, some amazing contributions. I mean, some of my like favorite people on the planet, whether it's like Roy Wood or Maria Bamford or Aubrey Plaza, uh, Bob Odenkirk, the list goes on and on. How were you able to get all these people to, to contribute to your book? It wasn't easy. So I started the book, I started putting it together with people I knew, people in the local Brooklyn Littlefield scene, people like Parna Nancherla and Joe Firestone. It kind of grew out from there. And eventually I started reaching out to people I'd never met before, people based in LA, people based in other countries. I reached out via managers and agents and just pitched them this idea and told them who else was participating, told them, explained how it would go to towards charity. And a lot of people were very interested in it just on that creative challenge alone of this being so different from what they're normally doing, which is writing stand-up, this being a, a challenge to write something really um, in a really restricted form 17 syllables, three lines, and a lot of comedians seem to just jump at it. So I was just very happy to get um, a lot of people enthusiastic. Um, a lot of people jumped on board. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people didn't respond or responded uh, that they didn't want to participate. But I just kind of tried long enough and spread the reach wide enough, spread the net wide enough that I got really great selection of people were there any that like really surprised you as far as what you thought you might get back and then what you got <laughs> i think ray romano was the biggest surprise he wrote maybe my funniest the funniest haiku in the book and it's a pretty r-rated subject he's talking about masturbation which is the op you know he doesn't really talk about that in um his his network television show <laughs> With family um and he he was he responded in like a day i had um written him this long letter that his manager forwarded to him and by the end of the day he had this wonderful wonderful joke were there any that you were expecting to be like really funny and they were more just like they they really took it seriously <laughs> yes I, I won't name names <laughs> I, did okay. get, yeah, I did get enough. quite a lot of responses from people that I really admire, big comedians that they kind of were off the mark a little bit. We weren't able to include them, but who contributed nevertheless. They just weren't in the finished product. Do you think that people 
like you were speaking about this a little bit, but you think that there was like a lot of there's a pressure, you know, I don't know if George would uh, you could speak to this as well. But like I, some comedians, I feel like they need they need to be more. The restrictions are very difficult. The restrictions could prove intimidating. Yeah, I, I think that some thought of it as fun, as a game. Um, you know, writing within restriction or doing anything within restriction, any kind of like arbitrary structure becomes a puzzle. Um, it's like why we like word games. It's like why we like crossword puzzles. It's why we like Wordle. You know, Wordle is fun because it's limited. It's, you have like six tries, five letters, you know, these are constraints. And it's the same as a haiku. It's three lines, 17 syllables. Try to be funny, there's just three rules. And um, so a lot of them, I think, saw it as a, a puzzle. And then some of them probably thought, oh, well, I've got a Netflix deal. I don't have time for <laughs> this little project. I'm just not going to, uh, I won't name names. I bet you I could probably <laughs> probably figure it out if I, if I really put my mind to it. <laughs> and I'm friends with Joe and a partner. I'll, I'll just go, hey, listen, I, we had Gabe on the show. <laughs> give, 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 give me the skinny here. <laughs> so uh, Eating Salad Drunk is your second book. Um, your first book, um, What the Fact, mm -hmm. which came out in 2018. Um, uh, one of the things I read about it on the, on the interwebs uh, is that it is described as giving trivia fans a way to learn something new and strange every day. When you're working on that book, what are some of the, the strange things that you learned? Oh boy, that, I learned so many things. So just for people who don't know, the structure of the book is, it's about history, it's nonfiction, and it's basically history. It's a collection of strange and unusual events that have happened throughout history. Um, bizarre things, humorous things, and the structure of the book is there's one for every single day of the year and it happened on that day. So it's like a calendar format kind of. Um, so I had 365, like insanely humorous stories that I had never heard of before. Um, there's a lot of things that stood out to me. Um, Mozart apparently was really into um, writing dirty letters about excrement. And he wrote <laughs> like dozens of them to his family members, to his cousins and his niece. Like he loved, he had this really dirty 12 year old sense of humor for poop and he wrote and scholars referred to this these letters collectively as the scatological letters and you can read them online and he wrote some of them to music he wrote about pooping on his cousin's face I mean it's hilarious I mean I don't I don't know what humor was like during that period but it is it just reminds me of junior high school yeah. kids so there's things like that. Um, it, uh, Abraham Lincoln, before he pursued law, he, uh, he was a, a local youth wrestler in Illinois and was a champion and apparently was undefeated for into his 20s. And today he's in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. Like, for <laughs> national. I mean, apparently never got beat. Um, so things like that, things like people that you never would have heard of and interesting things they've done or people that everyone's heard of and interesting tidbits that aren't really talked about in the textbooks. 
probably a blessing he was shot in the back because like I, how do you see the the, the, the gunman he would have wrestled it away from him am i right guys <laughs> i think john wilkes booth had to have known that he was he was trying to take down a wrestler <laughs> yeah well you hope that he did his research but uh what was your like research and and vetting process like for that, that project because is was there anything that you came across that you were like that can't possibly be true a million i had to fact check everything uh, using multiple sources. And we, the publisher had a fact checker on it as well. Um, at the time I was working at the New York Historical Society, um, which is a museum in Manhattan. It's right across the street from the Natural History Museum and all the tourists accidentally walk in thinking it's the Natural History Museum. Um, but I use their archives and I use their researchers and their library a lot. So there were a lot of things I had to verify, like there was this one, um, there's this one young man on the, the Mayflower. I think his name was John Howland. And um, he, there's a story where there was a Mayflower hit this big storm. The ship was rocking back and forth and John Howland fell off the ship. And of course they couldn't go back for him. So they just left him to die. But by a stroke of luck, he happened to catch this, this halyard, this rope that was trailing and he pulled himself back on. And then he ended up settling in, in the colony and ended up having like 20, 20 children, 150 grandchildren. And he is the, he is the direct ancestor of uh, people like Alec Baldwin, Sarah Palin, George Bush, all these people, like hundreds, like thousands and tens of thousands of people today. Um, and so one of the things I had to do for this book is because every, every story is pegged to a date in history. I had to verify the date of this storm, which was very hard. And I looked, I used the Historical Society archives and I looked through their, um, the actual journals and diaries of people on the Mayflower when they refer to a, uh, a storm. And when I looked through the logs um, and I think there was one diary we found where someone was, where a baby was born on the day of the storm and we found that baby's birthday. And that's how we were able to peg it and put it in the book. Wow. Sounds like a, a lot of heavy lifting. How uh, how long did that take you from from like Nexus to to? Completion? Yeah, I think that was um, probably three or four years door to door, like from the the concept to the publication, maybe four years. Do you remember the strange fact from your birthday? Um, yeah, I actually do. Uh, I, this is what I remember. Um, you you're familiar with the actor Army Hammer? Sure. Um, his father, also named Army Hammer, full name Ar Armand Hammer, which is say it, you pronounce it differently. It's Arm and Han Arm and Hammer, like the uh, what? What is that? Like it's some uh, baking soda or baking powder. So on this on September twenty second, it's my birthday. I forgot what year in the seventies, maybe. Uh, Armand Hammer Senior. He was a businessman, and he ended up acquiring this big company, um, which happened to own Arm and Hammer. So Armand Hammer owned Ar Arm and Hammer on that date. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make that shit up. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> so you've got two books and you're currently working at um, booking shows at Littlefield. So part of the reason why Dave and I started this podcast was to give like creative types and uh, some of our friends and some of the people who we, we, we love and, and music and film and books and any kind of industry, 
to sort of kind of like talk to us like during the pandemic. Can you just, just give us an idea of what it was like for you because you were working at a venue and you weren't able to do anything in the, this past couple of years. And I know Littlefield's making a comeback now, but what was it like this, these past couple of years for you? Well, the, uh, the first weekend that um, COVID hit New York, um, everyone was laid off very quickly. I was laid off, all the staff was laid off and everything shut down like that. Um, very slowly over the course of that spring, I started working with Littlefield again to do Zoom shows, which was basically just to for continuity for Littlefield to remind people that we're still doing shows. We weren't making money off of it, um, but we were maintaining connections with our our comedians and our community, our audience and our community. And um, it was good for that time. I hope we never have to go back to that um, stand-up comedy on Zoom. But that summer, later that summer in July, we have this um, adjoining restaurant <clears throat> that the owners of Littlefield also own called Park Life. Um, and that's a big outdoor sprawling space. And we turned it into um, a stage and a, uh, a venue for live music and comedy. And so that July, 2020, we were one of, probably one of the only places in all of New York City doing any kind of live shows. We had David Cross do a couple shows, Chris Gethard. Um, we had some music by Rachel Price um, from Lake Street Dive. And we were kind of creeping back into doing shows during um, outdoors safely. Um, Cuomo very quickly um, uh, canceled all outdoor shows. We went through this long winter and then um, Basically, 2021, about a year ago now, we, we reopened. And it was a very slow reopening, 50 people capacity, everyone wearing masks. Um, over the summer, we instituted the vaccination policy. And I would say right now, knock on wood, we're kind of, I feel like we're kind of not back to normal because we're not, um, by state law, we don't have to check vaccines anymore. We're not requiring masks anymore. And our shows are back to, full capacity. We have a lot of packed shows now. So I feel like finally, two years later, hopefully pending any further waves, we are um, somewhat back. Awesome. That's great. It's, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, starting to feel a little more, more like it. Ha um, I'm wondering, have you ever performed yourself or are you more of a, a writer and like behind the scenes uh, producer type? I see myself more as a writer behind the scenes. Um, I don't particularly like performing. I've done, um, I've been, I've talked in front of people before. I've done book readings, but I don't personally see myself as the person on stage. I like being behind the stage. I, I feel you. I suck. I'm, I'm, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. We can, we can <laughs> let George. Uh... How do you feel, George? Oh, I, I'm, I'm way into it. It's like the show part of show business is my favorite part. The business part of show business, I'm not that into, which is yeah. <laughs> the story of my life. Um, uh, we do a lot of research on um, whenever we have guests on, and I went to your LinkedIn page, <laughs> and I saw that you were a hiking guide. <laughs> yeah. For Gap Nepal, in which you, uh, you led groups to uh, Mount Everest. Is that right? Base camp? That's right. That's right. Uh when I was 26, I, for about four months, I was a hiking and trekking guide in Nepal. Um, 
I was based in Kathmandu and I led hikes to Everest Base Camp, some other lower peaks, uh, jungle safaris. Um, and I was, and I had an apartment in Kathmandu for very strange months that feel like a dream. But uh, it was <laughs> kind of a, a weird blip in my resume because it's it's not like anything I did before. It's not like anything I did after. Gabe, you should lead with that in any conversation. It was like two books is rad, but it was like I had an apartment in Kathmandu. Like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be your uh, your page for your weird, interesting fact. Exactly. Yeah, my birthday, my page. Yeah. Um, we, my group that I led to base camp, Everest base camp was, um, there were six people in the group and they were all pretty young and relatively in shape, like college age. And um, base camp, um, I think tops out around 18 or 19,000 feet. And the severity of, <laughs> of the altitude can't, you can't understand what it's like. It's nothing like I've ever experienced before and it hits you out of nowhere. So out of these six people, only two actually made it to base camp because along the way they got so sick, we had to call helicopter rescues, four helicopter rescues on four consecutive days. They were just out of it, delirious, headaches, nose bleeding, falling down, dizzy. Um, and the weird thing is they all felt like they were fine, but it's the delirium that makes them think, oh, I could go on, and then I'll, but they can't even uh, talk straight. Very weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Have you seen uh, the documentary 14 Peaks? That's great. It's, yeah, <laughs> these guys are like Nepalese climbers and they have, they're, they're so badass that like, they not only scale the, the tops of all these, these peaks, but they usually go back to save people who, who need to be saved because yeah. they're like so good at it yeah but yeah that's uh i'm sure that was quite the uh quite the experience and the altitude altitude is a real fucking a real deal people don't realize for sure yeah they don't realize Sneaks up on you. <laughs> were you watching that doc going oh shit that's that's dave i know that guy <laughs> <laughs> how big of a city is Kathmandu? i'm not i don't really know off the top of my head there's a, a downtown, like a main area that, I mean, it's, it's all walkable. It's not like, um, it's not, not like a New York, but I think it's, I don't know how far outward it technically expands to, but it felt relatively small to me, except even though I'm a native New Yorker. So I, if I'm, if, if a city's not built on a grid, I'm totally lost. So Kathmandu is not built on a grid. So it probably felt bigger than it actually was to me because I got <laughs> yeah, lost. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, there's no good segue for this. We're going to switch gears a little bit, but, uh, uh, we've been told that you are a big baseball fan. Yes. So actually big baseball fan, big sports fan. I'm much more of a player than a fan actually. So I play a lot of sports. I play in a lot of different leagues, primarily softball right now, some basketball, volleyball, football. But now it's, now it's softball season. So this is when it starts. This is when it gets crazy. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I would use the the mountain climbing thing for everything. You should just be like, I I ran tours in, in Nepal. You should listen to me. Now bunt here. <laughs> <laughs> it gives yeah, me some exactly. authority, right? 
sound probably cooler. No, but it makes sense. That's uh, that's your that's your mountain climbing now. Is like you're you play you're playing in a bunch of different leagues. <laughs> yeah, where that energy. Can go. <laughs> I haven't I haven't uh, been in a, a softball league here in New York, but uh, I imagine it's super intense because I see them out at bars afterwards and they're pounding drinks. So I'm assuming like mm -hmm. on the field, it's got to be crazy. Has it been crazy out there? Yeah, it's been crazy. I play in two leagues in Williamsburg right now that are very crazy. They take the game very seriously and they take their post game hang very seriously. Um, but the games get very intense. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of um, definitely yelling at the umpires. I'm definitely guilty of that. Um, but it's, it's co-ed in Williamsburg. I play in some other leagues that are, that are not co-ed. Um, and I, I played in this league for a few years, a bunch of years that I haven't played in a while, but it was called uh, Vintage Baseball. Have you ever heard of that? No. So Vintage Baseball is baseball by the rules of 1864. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I played it for years. What the fact? <laughs> uh, so it's like we, we use, a, we use um, a baseball but it's, it's a little bit softer than a major league baseball. It's a little bit harder than a softball. Um, there are no gloves. Um, we use these big wooden bats that are just basically big logs that have been sanded down and uh, don't really taper at the handle that much. They're very heavy. Uh, and then we wear the old uniforms. <laughs> That's incredible. Please tell me this yeah. is a thing and let us know at the, the Know Your Rolls for, 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 for me and Dave and producer Mary Best and for our listeners when this is going to happen because I would love to see this in person. I'll have to follow up with that with with you and then you'll have to tell your audience because we don't have any games planned right now but every year um, there's a tournament in Gettysburg Pennsylvania um, and teams from all over the country come teams from Kansas St. Louis all over the northeast the west and they play and play um, and there's tournaments in Philly, and we used to play when we played regularly on uh, Governor's Island. That's incredible. I feel like it also fits uh, perfectly in the center of like your Venn diagram of like old timey weird facts with sports <laughs> and and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right here. <laughs> if this conversation was a meme. <laughs> so the Kathmandu, the, the, the sports wasn't a great segue, but this, the, the sports to our game is an amazing segue. So here at the Know Your Rolls podcast, what we do here is we take two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other. We make a connections. For Gabe, for your episode, we're going to be talking about historical figures and baseball positions. We each do five. I go first, Dave goes second, and you as our distinguished guest will go third. So my first historical figure is Julius Caesar, who was a Roman general, who eventually became dictator. And for the baseball position that I have for him, is 22% of baseball managers in the history of the game have been catchers. So Julius Caesar is the catcher of baseball positions because they're usually dictators. <laughs> Dave. Uh, I, I love that. I, I'm going to talk about... Uh him a little bit later but i have a different uh comparison for him but i i like i love the way your mind works george um all right my first one is uh i'm bending like the the semantics of what historical figures are but to me they're historic even though uh two of them are still alive and that's the beatles 
Um, uh, and it's a group of people, but I'm going to compare it to a group of positions. And like, basically the comparison is, is that they're all, they're all very pretty <laughs> and like they, they, they function alone, but they're better together. And that's why they're a starting rotation. They're the starting rotation, especially in the playoffs when you only go down to four. And I think, you know, who is the fourth starter for sure. It's, it's definitely Ringo. Um, and for, and then the rest can be a debate for the end of time, but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, the Beatles are my, uh, starting staff playoff starting. Love staff. That. So I think a lot of mine de um, devolved into puns. So just bear with me. I hope you are, uh, <laughs> so, uh, this, I did JD Salinger and I put him, um, at catcher because he was a famous uh, reclusive writer and the catcher just stays at home. Very nice and done. <laughs> this is gonna be a long episode, everybody. <laughs> just kidding, I love it, it's great, keep going. George. All right, my second historical figure is Queen Elizabeth II. Now the royal family, they are, they kind of stink, kind of a rough hang, but she has a pretty high approval rating, which is why for me, doesn't matter how, how, how good or bad the team is. I think the, uh, the relief pitcher, the guy getting all the saves, it's got a pretty high approval rating too. He's one of the few, few athletes that actually has his own music that come, when he comes out to the mound. So Queen Elizabeth II is the relief pitcher of baseball positions. High approval rating on one. <laughs> nice. Um, until it's not. Uh, but uh, yeah. Okay. So my next one is uh, King Tut. Or uh Tut and Common or Tut and Common, Tut and Common, Tut and Common. Uh reference for anyone who's uh <laughs> paying attention. I think the official name is Funky Tut, Dave. <laughs> okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> um well the big thing about King Tut was that he was super young. He was like the youngest king and he was flashy as fuck. He he was, you know, we all see all the gold in his uh in his sarcophagus or you know in in the uh the coffin basically and and uh, that's why he's a center fielder center fielders get called up young and they're generally pretty flashy so yeah king touch is in the center field so uh i'm doing uh, this is going to be um george w bush and uh he's going to be at third base because third base is known as the hot corner it requires the fastest reaction time on the field and although George W. Bush had a slow reaction to the 9-11 attacks, he did have a quick reaction to that shoe being thrown at him at that press conference. Yeah, he, that wasn't the first time some people threw some shit at him. He, he was ready. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping for a born on third base, thinking they hit a triple reference, which had been just as good, too. That, been <laughs> also, that also works. George. My number three historical figure is Leonardo da Vinci. My guy da Vinci was a painter, an engineer. He was a theorist, he was a sculptor. He was into all kinds of stuff, architecture. So I don't really have a position for him because he can play all the positions, which is why he is my utility player. Leonardo da Vinci, a master of everything, utility player of baseball positions. He plays them all. Dave. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, my next historical figure is Rasputin. <laughs> Rasputin, of course, who 
his role was that of a counsel. So he's never the top guy, but he's like, uh, um, he's, you know, middle management basically. And uh, the mo- the thing most people know about him is that you can't fucking get rid of him. He'll never die. And that is why he's a middle reliever. Not uh, the most important guy on the team, but some of those guys are 45 going on 70 because they'll just throw, you know, 85 miles an hour, left-hander throw 85 miles an hour. They can hit the strike zone. They can do that for 25 years. So never fucking get rid of them. Rasputin is the middle reliever. Fun fact, uh, Rasputin and I share the same birthday. There you go. We're talking about my friend, uh, friend Rasputin. Nope, there's no good way to shorten that name. Okay, keep going. Definitely not, not definitely not Putin. I wouldn't yeah. shorten it to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost, I was like, nope, not, nope, nope. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd in uh, the Anastasia film. Yes, thank you. We all, we all know who that is. All right. Uh, next, I have Marie Curie, um, and I'm going to make her the broadcast announcer um, because she was a pioneer in the field of radio activity. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well played. So my fourth historical figure is Winston Churchill, who's widely regarded as one of the greatest leaders of all time. And if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a leader, I think the, the biggest leader on the baseball field is your center fielder. So Winston Churchill is the center fielder of baseball positions because center fielder's got to let everybody know. It's like, I got it. You're let go. Dave. <laughs> all right. Um... My next one is uh, the aforementioned Julius Caesar. <laughs> uh, I picked Caesar as well, mostly because, you know, he had the, uh, he had like his Senate and everything, but he was the last guy who made the decisions, the last guy to go to. Um, and basically he was killed by his own people. He was done in by his own people. And that's why as a baseball position, he's the closer. It's the last guy to, to uh, finish the deal. And if you don't, you get removed real quick. So Julius Caesar, the closer. I'm going to go with Alva Vanderbilt um, of the famous Vanderbilt family. She was a socialite during the Gilded Age. Um, and she's going to be my pitcher because she used to throw a lot of balls. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, Mary Bess. It's okay. Hey, if it's there, you can take it. <laughs> George. All right, my last historical figure is Baird Russian. Russian, Russian. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. First name is Baird. He worked, uh, he organized the March on Washington. He organized uh, the Freedom Riders. He introduced Dr. King to nonviolence uh, protesting. And uh, because he was a, uh, he was a, was a gay man in the 50s, he's not known for being one of those guys as a part of the civil rights uh, movement. And uh, later on in his life, he championed gay rights. So for me, my guy, Baird Russian, is like a guy who was there for all of it, but doesn't receive all the accolades. So he's my setup guy, because it's always a reliever that gets all the, all the juice. But you need this guy to make it happen. So Baird Russian is the setup man of baseball positions. Awesome. All right. My last one is, as a historical figure, I went with Toni Morrison. Of course, the great writer and, you know, Toni Morrison, one of the reasons she was so celebrated and she's so great is because she writes uh, 
about great pain, but beautifully. Um, and, you know, so she takes like these really, really tough subjects, but she puts words together in such a, a fascinating and, and uh, you know, interesting way. And that's why as a baseball position, she's the catcher because it's a tough job. It's a job of pain. But a lot of times, as to George's point earlier, uh, smartest guy on the field, smartest person on the field, and that's why they become managers because they see the they see everything, they see uh, you know the the micro and the macro. So, Tony Marson, catcher. So my last position is going to be first base, but not just any first baseman, uh, specifically Bill Buckner. Um, for those who don't know, let a ground ball go through his legs, 1986 World Series. And I'm going to compare him to a little known historical figure by the name of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> because Bill Buckner dropped it like it was hot. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Both things are true. <laughs> that works. Um, shout out to Bill Buckner for uh, making fun of himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, a few years ago. So hilarious. The Mookie Ball. <laughs> it was the Mookie <laughs> Ball. <laughs> That's when Larry throws him his keys or something yeah, and goes out. He throws him a, an autographed baseball from Mookie Wilson, who's Jeff Garland's favorite player. And yeah, it goes out the window of like a high rise. He just like, he just misses it like so plainly. It's great. Um, but then he redeems himself at the end of the episode because he catches a baby from like the top uh, floor of a burning, of a burning building. It's amazing. Uh, anyway, Gabe, thank you so much, man. That was, uh, that was great. Uh, we, we always appreciate puns here. Thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Before we uh, let you go, give us, uh, give us some plugs and tell us where we can find the book and, and where we can find you uh, in general. Uh, so the book you can get online or your local bookstore. It's called Eating Salad Drunk, uh, Haikus for the Burnout Age by Comedy Greats. Um, and... I, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Gabe Henry or Instagram at Gabe.Henry. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. We, again, we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That was great. Thank you for, for being on the show. This is wonderful. Yeah. Excited. I'm, I'm looking at the book right now. It's on my coffee table. Uh, I hope that it finds a home in everyone's um, coffee table or toilet. Either one. <laughs> you know. So it's a quick read. You tap into it and then, then you're done. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a, that's a mark. I'm sure that's a market. That's a huge market. People that just read in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. I keep a book it's just a so I'm not like on my phone 24 hours a day. <laughs> you go in the bathroom, you're like, I'm not taking my phone, but I do have a book. See, I'm the opposite. I only keep my phone in the bathroom. <laughs> so it's like Gabe's in the shower, like, why is Gabe constantly uh -huh. in the bathroom? <laughs> all of the <laughs> all of the tweets are like, the water went cold. What do I do? Oh no. That burrito was a mistake. Oh boy. Yikes. A real Mo a real Mozart over here. Um, yeah. yeah. That's that's how you end it right there. Way to stick a landing Gabe. I was yeah. hoping that one of y'all were gonna do that. Amazing. Yeah, we've got to got to get what the fact in here too, because now now I'm I really really want to oh, yeah. read this. I'll give you a copy next facts. time I see you. Awesome, cool. Oh, yeah. Well, Gabe, thank you so much.
Thanks again. All right. All right, bud. All right, we're back. I want to say thank you so much to Gabe Henry. Definitely check him out at gabehenry.com and look for Eating Salad Drunk in your local bookstores and online, wherever you get your books. All right, now we're going to go ahead and go into Last Call, where we talk about things we got coming up and what we're looking forward to. George, what do you got for us? So as the listeners have, have, uh, have heard me talk about this before, um, this is my favorite time of year as far as sports go because we uh, end of March Madness, it's a tournament, which has got a high approval rating in the George Gordon house. And now that the, uh, the last game of the college basketball season is over, it's time to get ready for the Masters. And the Masters is this weekend. And uh, my favorite golfer, uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, of course, is going to be a favorite. Hopefully he doesn't party too hard. We all know that Dustin Johnson likes to party. My favorite athlete stories are like the ones in which they get injured at home. That means they were getting fucked up and they slipped on the rug or something, goofing off. So I'm looking forward to the Masters. And the second thing I'm looking forward to, another thing that the listeners know that I'm a huge fan of, is I'm a huge fan of the actor Oscar Isaac. And episode two of Moon Knight, um, um, it uh, premieres, I think it's this Thursday. I think they're dropping episodes every Friday. And I watched uh, the season, or I guess uh, the first episode last week. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going for, but I... I'm enjoying what I've seen so far. The, it seems to be the villain is, is Ethan Hawke. And I've always found him to be a villain because he's Troy from Reality Bites. And I hate Troy from Reality Bites. But Oscar Isaac, my boy, is the lead of Moon Knight. And Moon Knight is, a, for those of you who don't know, Moon Knight is a uh, superhero, kind of uh, anti-hero that suffers from uh, disassociative identity disorder. So uh, he's, got, he's hearing voices and he's, he's, he's doing, playing, playing different characters. Uh, like one of his characters, I think, is, is Australian. Another one's uh, American. But the first episode, it, it, it kept me engaged. So those are two things I'm looking for. Episode two of Moon Knight, because I want to see how far down the rabbit hole this, this, this character goes, because I found it enjoyable. What about you, Dave? Cool. Um, well, first, I, I will say uh, I understand your, your uh, disdain for uh, Troy from Reality Bites. <laughs> But, hey, Troy. Um, but I will say uh, similar, you know, just like you love Oscar Isaac, you had a really good uh, interaction with him. Uh, I served Ethan Hawke on a semi-regular basis for like a year when I worked in like Chelsea and he, he was great. He was a great customer. Uh, he, he drank old fashions. He loved my old fashions. He used to compliment me, humble brag. Um, Hell yeah! And he tipped, and he tipped really well. And he was like, he was, he was nice. He he would talk, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't uh, standoffish at all. So shout out to Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac. Um, <laughs> but uh, love those guys. Uh, I, Troy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. But uh, I just got one one thing really because I'm looking forward to it so hard, <laughs> um, which is. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before on the show, but it's finally here, which is season six, the final season of Better Call Saul, which at any given time is my favorite show on television. Um, I I loved Breaking Bad and I might like Better Call Saul even more. I, I think it might even be better. And uh, um, we're finally at the point where he is becoming Jimmy McGill is is going to be Saul Goodman. He is Saul Goodman. And also like the Breaking Bad timeline, and the post Breaking Bad timeline, it's all going to converge. And I'm just really looking forward to the conclusion of it all. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the, the characters that we have been introduced to in 
Better Call Saul that we don't know like where they were during the Breaking Bad timeline, like Lalo and um, Nacho and Reese Horn's character, uh, Kim, of course, who's amazing, been one of the best parts of the show. So yeah, I'm, you know- the, That's my MVP yeah, for sure. Definitely, she's incredible. She was like, I hadn't really seen her before and and I think she's she's wonderful. I'll see like almost anything she's in at this point. But uh, they're doing that same thing that we were talking about earlier with Atlanta where they're breaking up the final season. It's like two parts. That's like, that's the thing to do now, I guess. Um, yeah, it's to give you more opportunities for, for award season because you get this year's and sure. you get the following years and it's just, just more content because Ozark yeah. did that too. So yeah, it's just all about awards. Yeah, well, I'm here for it. I'm here for it all. Better Call Saul, April... 18th april 18th better call saul season six amc looking forward to that all right now we're gonna go ahead and visit with our favorite regular producer mary bess and you know we talk about uh her having a tab all the time and i i will say that tab is coming due today uh she's gonna be closing out with us sadly she is moving on to to other pastures but we want to say first i want to say here i speak think i speak for george as well thank you very much to mary bess for everything you've done for us and for the show uh you will definitely be missed but we are excited for what you're doing in the future and you know the reasons why you are leaving us are pretty good ones so uh we're not uh we're not upset about it mb without further ado why don't you take it away Oh, thanks, you guys. It's it's been a real pleasure, and I I know I've said this to y'all before, but I will say it officially on the podcast that it's been a really lovely experience. Not only because of the connections that we've all made through the really cool people we've gotten to talk to, but just getting to be better friends with y'all. Like I met you through the podcast, Dave, and so I'm I'm just so pleased to have you both in my circle of friends um professionally and personally so it's really nice seconded absolutely and and wallace the dog and gladys the cat of course yeah yes our our friends that often join us on these calls um but yes it's like you said dave i'm uh i am sad to leave but i i'm happy that the reason i i have to step away is that i am uh working now full-time for a really wonderful nonprofit called the jed foundation that's been around since 2000 um, the main goal of the Jed Foundation is to preserve and protect and promote mental health and wellness for teens and young adults across the country. Um, we're in 30 states right now. We plan to be in all 50 states in the next few years. Um, and one of the things that Jed does is they focus on suicide prevention. And um, we have folks who are part of the Jed team who go into campuses, both high school and higher education campuses and help build programs that are gonna help students. Um, it's a really wonderful program. They do a lot of really good work and I feel really blessed to be a part of this group. Um, as some people may know, um, Mackenzie Scott granted, um, or I should say, uh, gifted the Jed Foundation $15 million this year as part of her initiative to invest in mental health and wellness for young Americans, which is really, really exciting. Um, so it's, it's very cool. The things that are coming from Jed and the growth that's happening right now. So I would encourage any listeners who are interested in 
the fight for trans rights, protecting trans youth, uh, mental health and wellness equity, um, you know, LGBTQ plus representation in the classroom, the don't say gay bill in Florida, and you know, this, all of these fights <laughs> that we unfortunately have in front of us, I am heartened knowing that the Jed Foundation exists. And the people that I personally have come across in the organization are, are really incredible folk who truly are just trying to make the world better uh, using whatever tools we have available to us, um, which is pretty wonderful. That's great. Again, it's a very worthwhile endeavor. And I think we're all we're all very happy for you and, and proud of you that, uh, you know, you are you're you're putting the work in and uh, it's great to hear. Well, thank you, my friend. And and I'll say too that if anyone wants to learn more about the Jed Foundation, you can follow the Jed Foundation on social media. You can go to jedfoundation.org. Um, there are a lot of great ways to get involved. Um, I'm currently running a summer internship program that they hold every year. Um, there's also the Student Voice of Mental Health Awards, which occur every year. Um, it is too late to sign up for that. However, if you know of a young person in high school or higher education that is taking great strides to raise mental health awareness or to build community or to uh, build better practices of help seeking and help giving as a student. Um, it's an award that's granted every year in June and applications open for that in January, February of each year. So there are a lot of really wonderful ways to get involved. Uh, so I encourage people to do that. Hell yeah. Thanks. I was hoping for a hell yeah, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think uh i don't i won't uh speak for george but i feel like both of us when we grew up the answer was mostly to suck it up mm. with any kind of uh any kind of problem so like i uh i think that's a very valuable resource to to have and and you know this just the uh the consciousness around mental health and the importance of of mental wellness you know has raised so much in the past five to ten years and and folks like yourself and the jet foundation are doing great work so again we support you and uh yeah good great the best of luck in all of the future endeavors thanks fellas i appreciate none of the drinks that i got while i was sitting in this booth waiting to be served that's the service here is terrible who do i talk to yeah well all i'll say is thankfully we have your credit card on <laughs> autograph oh, <no>. autograph <laughs> um yeah yeah bills come due for everybody oh no um, mm -hmm. all right <laughs> all right Great. Again, thank you so much, Mary Bess. And we are officially closing the closing MB's booth. Now, George, why don't you go ahead and tell the people what we got going on on our next show? Sure thing, Dave. We're going to be talking to Kate Madison, who is the lead singer of the band 79.5. And on her episode, we're going to talk about soul singers, something Kate knows a lot about, and ice cream, something we all know a lot about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Very excited for that. That's going to be awesome. All right. Now we're going to go ahead and close out this show. I want to say again, thank you very much to producer Mary Bess. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you to George, of course. Thank you to all of you, our listeners. 
Thank you to Amanda Zeller, our designer, and Alan Tech Kid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo for our theme. Everybody, please rate, review, and subscribe to Know Your Roles wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, be safe. And as always, fuck Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to bring back an old one. I haven't said this in a while. Please drink lots of water. I'm talking to you, Alex Turner. Professor <laughs> <laughs> from high school. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, uh, we're not 19 anymore. <laughs> yeah. Tough out there, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're out.